Hey, Journey Church, good morning and welcome. Good to have everybody here on a uh, fall, soggy fall morning, I would say. And today we're going to be wrapping up this series we've been in for a few weeks now called From This Day Forward. And uh, one thing I want to, want to say, next week we're going to be having a, uh, a message, we're calling it Decision 2020. It's going to be a big week for our country, but uh, it could be a, a bigger week for you personally. Uh, if you need to make a decision for Jesus Christ, we're challenging people to do that. A little bit more difficult with this. We know that people are spread out. We also know that people have put decisions off for some time. You know, we had a decision day that we had planned back in uh, at Easter time. We didn't get a chance to share that. And we know that people are kind of holding on to those decisions, a little bit reluctant. I would say that this is the time to make decisions. So if you are uh, here, able to be here, or you're at home, wherever you may be, uh, we're going to be encouraging you to take your next step uh, on your journey uh, toward Christ uh, next week uh, on our Decision Sunday, and we're going to let God move and God, let God do the thing He's best at. Uh, so uh, we'll, I encourage you to pray about that. So we're going to wrap up this series today, and if you've been with us, we talked about five commitments that we're asking you to make in relationships. And we said, because it's a marriage series, we're encouraging you to make them in marriage, but even if you're not married, these are five great commitments to make in all relationships. Number one, seek God. Number two, if you fight, and we all fight, you know, we disagree, fight fair. Number three, have fun in life, enjoy life. Number four, stay pure. And number five, we talked about last week, never give up. And those are great principles to build a life and a relationship on, regardless of where you are in life. And if you are not focusing on marriage, not looking to get married or not currently married, uh, I would encourage you to keep those in mind, but I also want to thank you for hanging in there with us through this, because sometimes it's hard to see the relevance maybe of a topic or a series to you personally, uh, but thank you for hanging in and encouraging those who may be in the middle of that themselves. So uh, thank you very much for that. Same thing is true about parenting and a lot of other issues that may not relate to us personally, uh, but they're important for the body. And today I want to wrap up this series by addressing what I feel like is a huge misunderstanding in marriage. I think it's one of those big issues out there, and it's all about the roles that husbands and wives play in the marriage. And if that isn't ex expl explanation enough, let me just say the, the whole issue can be defined by a simple question, who is in charge here and why? Who is in charge here and why? And you know, I think that issue is pretty big. It's a controversial issue. It really is. I remember that when I was first, we were first married, I struggled with that. I wasn't sure what that meant. I wasn't sure what it meant to be the, the head of my family or to lead my family. And I made a lot of mistakes in that. Lori can bear witness of that. But I feel like we've got a better balance in life. But I mean, a lot of times we just don't know how things are supposed to work. And, and then bring into, into fact the personalities and you know, uniquely who we are, it's, it's a big issue and a lot to wrestle with. And we can be very sin sincere about it and not really know how it's supposed to work. But let me talk about, we're going to go back to beginning, which is oftentimes the best place to start, because the issue has been around since day one, basically, of relationships from Adam and Eve. And you know, we talk a lot about sin and we talk about the impact of the fall and how that's impacted all of our history ever since then, the fall of mankind and how it's a struggle in all our relationships, how it impacts the way we do life in every way. And there was a lot of fallout from the sin of all of mankind. But there was one specific area that, that brought, that as a result of that, that brought conflict between husband and wife. 
And if you recall in Genesis chapter 3, when, when man and woman fell and God called them to account, God, God pronounced a curse on the snake. Uh, the snake would not have to crawl on its belly. We don't know how it got around before that. Maybe it walked on its tail. I don't know. But from that day forward, he is cursed to crawl in the dust. He, he called a curse or put a curse on the land that the land would grow, you know, weeds. It would not be fertile. It would have to be worked until. He put a kind of a curse on Adam in that Adam was now would be called to work by the sweat of his brow, to toil all his life, to, to work. We all feel the impact of that. And then God spoke to Eve, and, and two things came from that. First of all is that God said, there, now you're going to experience pain in childbirth, pain in childbirth. And anyone who's had a child, uh, you know, you know that's painful. Anyone who's been around when someone was having a child, you know that's painful, right? So that is a part of what we might call the curse of sin. But there was a second part of that that maybe you're not as familiar with. And here's what it is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. It says, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. That's an interesting verse, isn't it? The New Living Translation gives us maybe the most practical understanding of this verse. It says, you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Isn't that interesting that God said that? Those aren't my words, by the way. Check it out, Genesis chapter 3. You want to know where it's in the Bible. So God is saying here that Eve would desire to rule over Adam, but instead that Adam would rule over her. Now that's interesting that this was what, a part of what we might call the curse that God brought upon the land because of the sin of Adam and Eve. Now God is saying here that there's going to be some changes. We don't know what it was like before. Perhaps there was some sort of a mutual interdependent relationship that Adam and Eve have, but now God says, now there's going to be a power struggle. There's going to be a power struggle in marriage between men and women, husbands and wife, and that each of them would seek to have the upper hand in marriage. Have you ever seen that power struggle play out in reality? Of course we have. It's a part of many, many relationships. But he's saying that there's always going to be tension in marriage, and that tension is going to be encouraged and confused by culture that has its own direction, and it's even going to be made worse when the couple actually refuse to acknowledge God's plan. Because just like God had a plan to counter the curse, remember the curse was that man would be accountable for his sin, God had a plan to redeem mankind, to resolve man's relationship with God. God also has a plan to bring peace to our human relationships. So it's a natural result of sin that there is a power struggle in all relationships, including marriage, but God has a plan to resolve that. It's a perfect plan, and we got to seek to try to find that plan and make it work in our own lives. So let's begin in talking about how we relate to our spouse. You know, a lot of couples act as if they're in competition with their spouse, that you're a competition, that you're head-to-head, -head, that, that one of you has to have to win. And, you know, you really feel like when a fight, you know, we talked about oftentimes when we fight, we don't fight fair because we fight to win, not to resolve. And our goal is to fight fair, to say we don't want to try to win and somebody lose. We want to resolve this. We want everybody to win. And so whenever couples fight, it truly is a demonstration of this power struggle that God predicted would be in marriage. But here's the thing, guys. We are not competitors as spouses. We really are on the same team. Because whenever you married someone, you said, I do, and you were pronounced husband and wife, you instantly became teammates. 
and not just teammates. The Bible says that two become one. And so there is no such thing as a win-lose scenario when you're on the same team. If you're on the same team, you all win or you all lose. That's kind of how it is. You either win together or lose together. Everybody wins or everybody loses. Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter 11, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. A house divided against itself is naturally going to fall. Power struggles destroy relationships, especially in marriage, really in marriage. Now, couples need to develop a teammate mentality. That, it's an attitude that says, you know what, it is unacceptable for either one of us to walk away from an interaction or an argument feeling like you've lost. So if you fight fair and you define winning as finding solutions that both people feel great about, then you can say, hey, it's a win-win. But you know what, it's hard to remember that in the heat of the moment, in the heat of the battle, isn't it? With emotions high, everybody is scrambling to win. You're trying to pull out the stops, everything you can think of. Sometimes you pull out history and become historical about it. We talked about that in fighting. But, but in the reality, it's hard to remember that we're on the same team. You know, I kind of had this picture in my mind. I'm not a huge basketball fan. Uh, but have you ever seen a basketball game where two players on the same team actually fight for the ball? Ever seen that happen? And they're scrambling, you know, you, your, your single focus is the ball, you want to win the game, you're all going for the ball, and you know, before you know it, two people on the same team are fighting for it. And, and whenever that happens, if there's any movement at all, <laughs> you know, what happens is called traveling, I think. Uh, I looked this up, it had a hard time figuring it out. I, I asked my son, I said, what happens when, what happens, he knows more about it, I said, what happens when two people on the same get a, get a, get a hold of the ball at the same time? I said, is that traveling? He said, it could be, but it looks stupid, and the team looks dysfunctional when they do it. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's pretty true. When you got two people fighting for the ball, nobody can figure out who, who's going to get it. And that's what happens in marriage. It's very dysfunctional when you're fighting for the win yourself. And in sports, the, in the end, the ball goes to the other team, and both people lose. And that's how it is so many times in marriage. So many times. You know, another way to think of that would be, that uh, somebody said marriage is like a three-legged race. In a three-legged race, if you try to outrun your partner, the one you're tied up with, and you force, try to force them to move faster, or you try to move or work without their cooperation, you will fall, you'll all lose. And that's kind of how it is in marriage. It's either win together or lose together. So marriage is, is a team sport. But you know what? Here, here's the hard part. Every team has to have a leader. Every team has to have a leader. You can call it whatever you want to. You can call it a captain. You can call it a quarterback. Call them a team leader. Call them a CEO on a business team. Whatever you call them, somebody has to take the lead and everything that goes along with that. And let me just say this, that if you are a leader and you've had very much experience, you know that leadership is the hardest part of the team. It may seem like the most glorious part, but it's the hardest part of the team because everything rises and falls with leadership, right? And if you've ever been on a team that didn't have a leader, an acknowledged leader, then you know how important that role is because everybody on the team either tries to lead in different directions or nobody leads at all and the team goes nowhere. That's, that's how it is. Nobody takes responsibilities and the team doesn't move. And I would say I've seen both scenarios play out in marriage. 
I have seen couples where both of them, there was an obvious power struggle. Both couples are trying to move in a different direction. Or I've seen marriages where nobody moves, nobody works, and the marriage just flounders. I've seen it happen, and it's always disasters. There's always tension, always frustration. Now, fortunately, for those who choose to have a Christian marriage, God says, I have a plan for that. I have a plan. This is how it's supposed to work. And God's plan is kind of defined by a principle, even though the word's not in the Bible. You can't find this word in the Bible. You can't Google it, though, and find it elsewhere. But the plan, God's plan, the principle, is called complementarianism. And I know that's a big word, but, but that kind of defines what that is. So what is complementarianism? Well, that's a view of gender roles based on two fundamental, fundamental biblical truths. Here's the first truth, that men and women, I think you'll agree with this, men and women are both created in God's image, and they are both equal in value, dignity, and worth. I mean, who could argue with that? Men and women are created in God's image, they are equal in value, dignity, and worth. Here's the second principle, I think you'll agree with as well, that God has designed men and women to function differently. Are men and women differently? Absolutely, we are. And we're designed to function in different ways. Now, take those two principles, and that's kind of the foundation of the teaching of roles in marriage and this term that we call complementarianism. God has given each gender unique responsibilities and abilities and gifts and tendencies that the other gender doesn't share in the same way. And they're to be carried out, I believe, primarily in two places, in the home and in the church. I'm not going to talk about in the business world. I'm not going to talk in politics, government, anywhere else. I'm going to talk about the home and the church because this is where the Bible clearly teaches that these roles are defined and lived out. So it's obvious to us that men and women are very different, right? And it's obvious that God's plan is that we would complement. That's where the word comes from, by the way. We would complement one another. Not that we would just say, hey, you look great today. That's not that kind of compliment. I'm talking about compliment that we actually would help one another, that we would benefit each other, each other, each other's strengths. We would draw upon each other's weaknesses. Uh, we would strengthen. So also that we would complete each other, which is another great way to look at that as well. Not that we would compete with each other. Now, I want to tell you, saying these things, our world has become so confused about God's original plan that some of this may sound odd to you already. Some of it may sound strange because we live in a world today that says there's not any gender. We live in a world that's trying to deny that gender is even real, let alone that people are different and that we may be created for different roles. So we have to kind of get away from the world, push it back, and say this is what the Bible has to say. Even further, not only does it say that God, uh, these two facts that we talked about, the Bible is very clear about how husbands are supposed to act in their marriage and how wives are as well. And while it may be hard to hear, and, and it may take a few minutes to get through it, I'm going to share some Scripture, and then we're going to look at what God has to say about marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I love that verse because that's a great place to start. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy 
cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband's. Now, I know that is a lot to absorb. That's a long passage of Scripture, and there's a lot in there, and, and we can't talk it out at all, but I want you to notice here the connection that Paul makes between Christ and his church and a man and his wife. That's really what he's talking about here. God says that marriage is to reflect the relationship that we have with Christ, the church has with Christ, that husbands were designed to shine the spotlight on Christ's relationship to the church and that wives are designed to shine the spotlight on the church's relationship to Christ. Now, to understand that, we got to kind of get past our own personal biases, and we have to get past some misconceptions that our world has told us, and we have to see what exactly is God saying, and how do we make this extremely practical? So let's talk about some bullets here that I think are important. Number one, gender roles are not based on natural talent or skill, but on God's perfect design that our roles are not based on our unique skills and abilities. Men are not called to lead their homes because they're smarter or more gifted leaders. To be honest with you, many of us guys, we're pretty mentally slow. All I hear is women cackling. I don't hear any men. But guys, you know what? We're, and our wives are many times more intelligent than we are, and they're more driven than we are. I'm going to tell you, I'm, <laughs> Lori is much smarter than I am, I mean, in, in a, lot of, a lot of different ways. Um, we're not given this position because we have natural talent or skill. And sometimes we may question God's plan. We may say, God, this doesn't make any sense because, I mean, look, the, the difference, who ought to be leading here? And so it's not based on that at all. It really isn't. So it's contrary to, to, to logic sometimes and definitely what the world has to say. All right, so let me say that. Secondly, headship doesn't come with perks. It only comes with added responsibility to sacrifice and serve. There's not all these perks that come with leadership all the time. It may seem like it when you're the, the one being led, but you know, when you got responsibility and sacrifice and service out there, guys don't get to command and control the remote all the time or the thermostat in the house. And they don't get everything their way, bullying the wife and kids. That's, you know, this is a distortion of leadership because leadership is actually all about serving and even being willing to die for your wife. If you would die for someone, that's, that is a lot of commitment. That requires quite a bit. And this is a place where men need to be if they're going to lead. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of men bail out of leadership because they're too act lazy to actually lead. Because leadership takes some initiative. And a lot of men are too lazy actually to do that. So it's easier not to. They refuse to lead because they're lazy. And so somebody has to because the family's got to go somewhere and do something. And so the wife steps up 
And then men resent that their wives lead even though they won't, and the wife resents that she has to lead because he won't, and somebody has to. Is that reality? It is. We're honest about it. So headship doesn't come with all these perks. It really comes with added responsibility to sacrifice and serve. Thirdly, submission is marriage doesn't mean a wife has to do everything her husband says. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I feel like I'm betraying you out there in some way. But you know, to be honest with you, guys aren't always right. And, and we're, that's a dictator position. And, and husband is not a dictator, not supposed to be a dictator, all right? But ladies, let me tell you this. One day, one day, your husband will have to have a conversation with God about specifically about how he led your family spiritually and how he made every effort to cultivate a Christ-centered home. Your husband's going to have that conversation with God. The question I have for you, are you doing everything you can to make sure the conversation goes well? Is your husband going to have to say, God, I tried. You know I tried. God say, I know you tried. What are, what are wives going to have to answer for? I don't know. I know what men are going to have to answer for. But I would say this, are you a liability or an asset to your husband as he tries to fulfill his God-given responsibilities to exercise sacrificial servant leadership in the home? Are you helping or hurting? Are you making the man what God wants him to be, or are you making him what you want him to be? Those are great questions, right? You know, I hadn't even thought of this when I was writing it, but I remember uh, a story about uh, the H.W. Uh, Bush and his wife, Barbara. Was that her name? can't remember. Barbara Bush? No. Is that right? Okay. At any rate, uh, this story was told. I don't know if it's true or not, but that one day they were talking about it, and he said, look who you married. You married the president. You could have married this other guy, whoever she was dating before, and, uh, and she goes, no. She said, if I had married him, he would have been the president, you know. <laughs> so the reality is you are helping to make the person to make the man. Are you making it, are you making him what God wants him to be? Are you doing that? A wife's submission is primarily concerned also with helping her husband in his spiritual initiatives and responsibilities, not in giving him everything he wants in his way. And let me say this, a wife is never, ever called to follow her husband into sin or to tolerate harmful, abusive, or manipulative behavior. But wives, your husband needs you. He needs you to help him lead. He's not a great leader, naturally, probably. It's hard. It's difficult. We don't know how to lead. He may appear to have it all together on the outside, but inside, I promise you, personal experience, you know, we're, mad. we're paddling like mad. We're trying to figure out what to do, uncertain, afraid. We want to do what's best for the family if we're sincere about that. We just need some help. But when you try to supersede him, it doesn't help. But if you encourage him and support him, he's now free to lead and become what God makes him to be. And he's going to make mistakes. We're going to make mistakes, right? But if you continue to support him and encourage him and pray for him, he will grow in his faith and his leadership. And you lift him up. You will make him the man God wants him to be or help him become that. Number four, God's design is about general postures or orientations. It's not gender-specific behaviors. That's number four if you're writing them down. Husbands are called and tasked with the role of lead and protect, and wives are called and tasked with the role to help and nurture. Now, this has changed over time. Why? Because traditionally, in the old days, men did the outside physical work. 
providing for the family. When there was one person that worked, almost always it was the man who went out and did that. And women did the inside work, the cooking and cleaning and caring for children. But as you know today, the roles have changed, and they've changed very dramatically. In fact, many women work outside the home and may, in fact, be the primary breadwinner. And I will say that whoever you are, you know, that, that causes conflict, right? If you make more money as a woman than you, the husband, that can definitely impact the leadership in the family. It shouldn't, but it, but it can in many ways. Many women today like to work outside. They like to mow the yard, work in the garden, do the outside chores. Many men like to cook. Well, I know some people that are probably better, I'm not going to say for sure, but probably better cooks than their spouse, their wives are. And many times they do that. That's okay. They love to clean the house. Many of them are very involved in raising the children. That's a plus. That's a good thing. You know, the, those, the, all that's okay. You can divide the labor up, I think, any way you want to, as long as you're keeping with the lead, protect, and help nurture orientation that God's given to husbands and wives. Not what you do as much, it's who you are in the marriage. Remember that our roles in marriage also symbolize the union and the relationship between Christ and his church. And we're to live out those roles when you think about it. However, there are some differences. It's not a perfect fit. And here's why. An earthly husband should not presume that his will is infallible. Guys, we are not Jesus. Even though we may play that role in marriage, we're not perfect all the time. And we shouldn't presume that our wife is less wise or intelligent or insightful than we are. Jesus is always wiser than the church. Husbands are not always wiser than their wives. It also means that a mature Christian husband is not going to express his leadership with childish and proud bullying of his family or one-sided decision-making, but he's always going to seek out both the wisdom and desires of his wife. That's what good Christ-like leadership does. You know, I really appreciate the way that, that Pastor John Piper uh, is a great thinker and theologian. I don't agree with everything he says, but, but he words the different roles. He says, at the heart of mature masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead, provide for, and protect women in ways that are appropriate to a man's differing relationships. Notice that he emphasizes three aspects of, lead, of, of headship, leading, providing for, and protecting. And then he says, for wives, at the heart of mature femininity is a freeing disposition to affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in ways appropriate to a woman's differing relationships. So he mentions the terms affirm, receive, and nurture strength. But in both of those, he also adds this phrase, differing relationships. And what is he saying? This is not how all men relate to all women, nor is how all women relate to all men. All men are not over all women. That's not how it works. And all women are not under all men. That's just, it's just not what it is. This is a special relationship that men and women enter into, agreeing to fulfill their God-given roles. This is why we have to talk about this. This is why it ought to be out there. What does the Bible have to say? And if, a, and if a person is not willing to fulfill the role that God's assigns, they should never get married. Men, if you don't want to lead, you should not get married. Women, if you don't want a strong husband to lead you, then you should never get married. You shouldn't do that. Maybe that would cause some less problems, less confusion in a, in a family. 
In the home, when a husband leads like Christ and a wife responds like the bride of Christ, there's going to be harmony and oneness that's beautiful and much more satisfying than whatever any other human marriage that we might create might look like. Because anything else is always going to be conflict and tension. Biblical headship for the husband is a divine calling to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home And biblical submission for the wife is a divine calling to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her own gifts. And for both of them to receive those gifts and build up one another. Do you see how that works? That's the plan. And how far sometimes we actually end up from it. And I would say, I believe if these roles were really understood and lived out, there would be a lot less conflict in marriage. There would be a lot more joy and a lot less divorce. But the reality is there is a lot to fight against to get to where we ought to be. Remember the curse that was brought on by sin. We live under that curse. That's how we think and act, and that's how our world moves because we're under the curse of sin. We also know that both both people are going to seek to control in inappropriate ways. And then one person is going to fail to fulfill their role, and the other person is going to take that as permission for them to fail to fulfill their role and of course, then Satan, who is out there, outside the marriage, is at the root of all sin and conflict, and he's egging it on. Now, I don't know what you think about what we talked about, but I'm pretty solid in what this is. You know, I ran this by two people that I love and respect. Number one, my wife said, Lori, what do you think of this? And I read it secondly past my son, who's pretty theological. <laughs> I said, so what do you think? And he said, I'm good with that. And Lori said she was good with the two or I wouldn't be up here this morning, right, saying this. But let me also acknowledge that these words don't go down well with some people. I understand that. And in fact, it may be the first time that you ever even heard anything like this. And I understand that because, you know, we all have a way, a habit of creating roles for themselves in ways that are most comfortable, that are natural for us. But this is what God's Word says. And for marriages... The roles that we create for ourselves would be what God predicted in Genesis 3, that both husband and wife would seek to control and that there would be conflict and tension throughout their lives. But as Christ followers, we believe that God has a better plan, a better way, and that's his way that he created this perfect plan. And if we commit to living that plan and growing that plan, we're going to find greater joy and fulfillment. And it won't be easy because we're under the curse, remember that? But I think that one day, if we're faithful, one day we'll hear the Father say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. You were pushing against a lot, but you've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And that's what I long to hear. I just want to be faithful in the role that God's given me. I don't want to recreate my role. I don't want my pride to be something it shouldn't be. I just want to be who God has called me to be. And I would hope that you would say, the same thing. You know, I, I know that <clears throat> there's a lot of conflict in marriage, but when I see people who are committing their lives to Christ, I go again, once again, to that whole thing. We all are in different places, but if we're all reaching toward Christ, we're going to be getting closer to each other, and nothing says that more than in marriage. So that would be my challenge to you. And I would say this, that next Sunday, we're going to be having a decision Sunday. I would encourage you 
to have a conversation. If you had conflict and strife in your marriage, I would encourage you to have a conversation about both of you either giving your life to Christ or recommitting your life to Christ. And men, because you're called to be the leader, I would encourage you to initiate that conversation. I would encourage you to sit and talk to your spouse about each of your walks with Christ. Because you see, while our journey with Christ is independent and individual, it also is in, it's in the communion with one another. And leading spiritually is the number one responsibility that God's given us for our families. So I would encourage you, and I would encourage you to think and pray about this. And maybe next week, the time that you publicly say, you know what, we're giving our life to Christ, we're giving our marriage to Christ, we're letting go, we're releasing it, and we are committed to living what God has called us to live and be. You know, the great thing about this whole paradigm of marriage is that Jesus has already showed us how it works. He's already laid out, he's modeled what it means to be a Christian leader because he gave his life for us. He was willing to die for us, and he did just that, setting the example for us.